Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. Our guest on the podcast today is Andre Burrell, who is the producer and director of the upcoming documentary about sharks in Australia called Envoy Shark Cull. But this is just one of Andre's latest projects. He's a very experienced entrepreneur and business leader. He's co-founder of The Hype Project and he's got a lot of success to his name. But in this conversation, we did want to dive into what is this Envoy project and why is he so passionate about protecting sharks? So realistically, this whole campaign is looking at the interaction between sharks and ocean users in Australia and really shining a light on how archaic the current technologies and strategies being adopted are. We're talking about the same strategies and the same technologies that have been around for 60 years. And when you start to look at the science, you start to realize they are thoroughly inadequate and causing a huge amount of harm to innocent marine life. So OIO's perspective on this is you have to follow the science and you have to be future thinking. So one of the things that we love about Andre's approach is that he's looking at this modernization of archaic technology. You might have seen recently he presented a modernization plan to the Queensland government showing that with contemporary approaches we can actually look to have much less interaction and much less damage to marine life. So we're talking about things like drones, for example, that can adopt AI to identify sharks and warn those beach users. The shark safe barrier, uh, which is basically a biomimicry approach to mimic a kelp forest that can be installed around designated areas to prevent those interactions between sharks and humans. Eco shark barrier, which you would have seen already being utilized in parts of Western Australia, and all sorts of programs around education, shark tourism, to try and increase ocean literacy, to help people once again follow the data and not get embroiled in the highly charged emotion often perpetrated by media and people with vested interests, politicians, to try and create this rift in a practical, pragmatic conversation. Like I said, we always believe in trying to protect human life, but we must start to develop a mature conversation around the fact that we desperately need to preserve marine life, particularly threatened shark species, and that there is a future thinking way around this. Innovation is key here. Thanks for your time, Andre. I will add that the documentary Envoy Shark Cull is not yet out. It's coming soon. It's narrated by Eric Barnard. It's got an incredible cast, the biggest names in shark conservation, world champion surfers, Tom Carroll, Lane Beachley. It's going to be an incredible documentary, not to mention the freedom of information, access to images and video that these guys have got their hands on for the doco. It's going to send shockwaves. We're really happy to support it. And we wish you the best of luck, Andre. Thanks for your time. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast.
Very excited to have on the Ocean Impact podcast today, Andre Burrell, who's a creative director of The Hype Project, but also the director and producer of Envoy Shark Cull, a documentary that is very soon going to be seen around the world. How are you, mate? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me, Tim. I'm pumped to be here and talk about shark culling and talk about uh, our project and what we've found. Yeah, give us a bit of a spiel there. Obviously, we're going to have a, a, a nice, long, meandering conversation, but we did open on these um, on these two points. We talked about the Hype Project, and we talked about this documentary, Envoy Shark Cull. So how about you give us a bit of a spiel about uh, what, you're, uh, what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm... I mean, traditionally in my, my working life, I've been a business guy. I've always uh, seen a niche, in a, I guess, a niche or an opportunity in a market where something could be done better or changed and, and you could kind of shake things up. And, and I've had businesses along along the years that have done that and, and been successful. Two years, two and a half years ago, I, I wanted to start a video production company, not for the purposes that that i guess other people go into the creative industry so a lot of people want to do that as they're living as they're living and a way to i guess make money uh i saw a video production company as what i wanted to do as my next venture because of the platform it gives you to go and tell stories that matter and, and expose things that need to be exposed and yeah basically uh started a video production company with with a mate of mine the hype project uh with with my mate reese um, and it does, it does a lot of normal work as well, a lot of corporate videos, a lot of real estate videos, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but really the reason I went into it uh, was to create a platform and give me the resources to do passion projects like this. So Envoy is that. It's our first feature-length uh, project, self-funded passion project, and it is basically a fact-science research-based look into the Queensland and New South Wales uh, shark control program in Queensland and uh, bather uh, protection program or shark meshing program, depending what terminology they use in, in New South Wales. So, uh, yeah, a, a passion project that we've all sunk a lot of uh, blood, sweat, tears, time, money into to uh, show what is really going on, which when you see it uh, is quite mind-blowing. Yes, and from what you pick up in the trailer and other bits of footage that you've released on your social channels and, uh, and other platforms, it really does look like something which is going to rattle some cages and shake the tree and really send a bit of a shockwave through uh, the Australian population and the population around the world, particularly those who have an affinity and understanding appreciation of the vital role of sharks uh, in the ocean. Why sharks, mate? What, what, you know, you just said you wanted to start a bit of a, a passion project and video production. Why sharks? That's a really, really good question. I get this a bit lately and, and I've, I've been thinking back and, and kind of trying to delve back into my brain and, and figure out why. And, and I don't have a great answer. I guess I've just got these, these, these memories scattered throughout, um, throughout my childhood and then, and then adolescence and early adulthood that I think must form this kind of affinity I have for them and for the ocean. So I think it starts back, uh, 
visiting an aquarium as a kid, uh, you know, I don't know, five, ten years old, and you go through those Perspex tunnels and, and you see a shark cruising above you. That, that, was, uh, that was really cool. I liked, you know, Finding Nemo when it came out. Uh, always spent a lot of time at the beach, not necessarily diving or snorkeling or anything, but always a lot of time near the water uh, as a kid growing up. Uh, after that, I think really the big game changer for me is getting uh, getting my dive license, doing my open water with Paddy first, and then and then obviously uh, more from there, uh, and really getting to connect with not just sharks but other animals face to face and eye to eye, and actually spending time in their environment. That's probably the biggest game changer. Uh, there's obviously things that led to that, but that that to me opened my eyes to be like, this is nothing like what everyone makes out, and this is a whole different. A whole different planet down here like it's just this amazing place uh, and then you feel more connected to it and when you see bad things happening to it it's really hard to accept and it's really well at least for me it's quite it's quite upsetting um and then probably the the, the other one is is shark water um seeing shark water for the first time I, I was just mind blown obviously that that's not on the exact same topic that one's largely about commercial fishing of sharks and and, and finning uh and all the all the other issues surrounding that but um whereas we've decided to focus on culling, but, but still just the way that that film presented the issue was, yeah, it's still one of my favourite documentaries of, of, of all time. I think somehow all that goes into the pot and get mixed around and, and bubbles away in my brain and, and at some point I'd had enough and there was kind of this tipping point um, or this breaking point, if you like, uh, where I knew what was happening here in our waters with our culling programs and... I shared a lot of stuff on social media and I donated it. And, and at some point, I guess, yeah, like I say, this, I guess I snapped and went, no, I've got to do more. I want to do more. And um, that was right around the time that I started the Hype Project. So uh, exposing the atrocities that are going on via the power of film is, is how I decided to make that, that impact and do something. How would you summarise, uh, it's a big question, but how would you summarise you know, attitudes to sharks globally, this historical context that brings us up to 2020 where this stuff is still going on and people aren't in the streets rallying to prevent it? How would you summarise this history of attitudes towards sharks from your perspective? I think the history has a lot to do with not understanding them and science still evolving so much in this space uh, and and obviously media and film play a part in that as well. But you fear things you don't understand. If the only time you see a shark ever is on the news because they say, you know, when I say they, I mean the media, because they say it mauled someone or ate someone or the only time you see it is in a film and it's obviously hammed up, you know, got a bit of Hollywood Hollywood tax on it and they're uh, uh, making it seem a lot more malicious and vicious and all those things. If that's your only exposure to sharks, of course you're going to have a fear and of course you're not really going to care if they die. And it's just a lack of understanding or, or, or lack of first-hand experience. And I guess those two things go, go hand in hand. But uh, science has a big role to play in terms of explaining that these animals aren't mindless killers and they're very methodical about what they do and, and actually very cautious animals. And getting under the surface and getting eyeball to eyeball with, with these guys and, and seeing how they actually act uh, when it's not on a Hollywood set or it's not um, being sensationalised for a headline that's that's so important but yeah i think going back to your original question that what brings us here is just not understanding them at all we, you know we see a fin poking out of the water uh we see gnashing teeth we get told things that aren't necessarily true 
And I think that's what leads us to where we are today. And that plays into the public psyche and the little bit of remaining support there is for culling programs, it's small. The, the vast majority of the public are against them based on recent polls. Uh, but the little bit of remaining, I guess, support for them is it has to be based on that misunderstanding. Because once you understand, you, you don't fear them anymore. Tell us then about uh, Envoy Shark Cull, the documentary that you've sunk all this blood, sweat, tears, money into uh, and what it helps to achieve. Uh, my firm belief with a lot of issues, I guess, in society uh, or a lot of injustices that are going on, my firm belief is that the vast, vast, vast majority of people, uh, they once they know something bad is going on, they won't stand for it and they, they, they don't like it and they'll be just as disgusted about it as as I was about this program uh, when I learned what it really was. So, so the disconnect really is, it's not that people don't care or, or you know, that they just have a disregard for animals. In most cases, of course, there's, there's a small percentage that just want to see stuff die. But um, to me, the disconnect is knowing, just knowing that it's going on. And that's what this film is, is here to achieve. And it's why we've gone about it in the way that we've gone about it. So, um, for us, having a big name narrator was important because that will Who draw is? in Eric Banner. For those that don't know, ladies and gentlemen, yes, I'm so pumped, uh, so pumped to finally be able to talk about that. So for us, having um, a he suited the tone of the film and, and the tone of the topic perfectly well. But for me, having a household name like that, the real reason was that when someone's flicking through whatever streaming platform um, they might be on, and this film will end up on. Uh, it's about drawing in the audience that that wouldn't normally be drawn in uh, because your average mum and dad who drive down to the beach and take their kids for a swim, they think these programs are keeping them safe and they don't realise it's a culling program. They, real, they, they, they genuinely believe it's keeping them safe via, via keeping, I guess, sharks away from them through, through barriers or whatever it is. Um, so dragging in the audience that is the average Joe that does not comprehend what these programs are was really, really important to us and um, really explaining to them what the programs actually are because, like I said, I guess how I started the answer, that's where the disconnect happens. Not understanding what's going on is, is the disconnect to doing something about this because no, in, in my mind, again, unless you're a... You're a you're a hunter or something and you enjoy, enjoy killing animals. Other than that, no, I guess, normal person can see what this program is and have it revealed to them in, in the way that we're going to reveal it to them in our documentary and f feel it's right. There's just no way. So, so the film's really about bridging that gap between, I guess, the lack of knowledge on this topic in, in the general population uh, closing that gap, and then from there, I think I think people doing the right thing and, and people's heart uh, being in the right place will take over. I'm excited. So, give us a little bit of a glimpse, without a full spoiler alert, mm -hmm. what that narrative arc looks like, and maybe use that as a way of then talking about what you hope the film will achieve in the in the longer term. Sure, absolutely. So we start by introducing you to our fantastic cast. So we've got really a pretty star-studded cast from, um, you know, some of the leading conservationists in the world in this space, uh, scientists, surfers, obviously. Can we run us through some of those cast members? Yeah, we can do that, absolutely. So we've got, um, 
we've got Madison Stewart, who you've had on recently as well. Uh, I, I just listened to the episode the other day. I didn't realise that uh, this doco was going to be a topic of conversation, but that was a, that was a cool little surprise. And, and her work that she usually does over in, in Indo is really, really cool stuff. Um, so Madison Stewart, uh, we've got Ocean Ram- Ramsey and, and Juan Oliphant as well. Um, Holly Richmond, who made a short film on this topic uh, as well. She's a, she's a marine biologist based on the Gold Coast. Um, uh, she's in it as well. Uh, we've got a couple of surfers who uh, right now when we're recording haven't been announced yet, but they will be by the time this is out. So um, Lane Beachley and Tom Carroll as well went down to northern beaches of Sydney to have a chat with them. I think surfers hold a very important part uh, in this debate because uh, they're one of the higher risk categories. Uh, we've also got Dr. Leonardo Guida from uh, Australian Marine Conservation Society, uh, Lawrence Quebec from uh, Humane Society. We've got uh, John O'Clark from, from Sea Shepherd, like all star cast, anyone that's working in or around this space, we've, 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 got, uh, we've got them involved. So uh, it's been really cool to see that, actually that, that just as a little tangent to see the space kind of become galvanized around this project, which is not something I expected it would do, but generally everyone's done their own thing. Whereas this seems to have, I guess, unified us a little bit, which is really, really cool. Um, so we introduce you to uh, all of that amazing cast. Uh, if there is anyone I've left off, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, introduce you to that amazing cast, introduce you to sharks in, in terms of dispelling some of those, those Hollywood myths. And then we start to dive into the topic. So we reveal what this program actually is and uh, we can go into it a little bit deeper here, but, but look, the, the short version is it's a culling program. The shark nets are not a barrier that keeps sharks away from people. They don't go to the bottom. They don't stretch the whole length of the beach. Uh, they're, they're, they're a fishing net. They're essentially a fishing net, a shark net or a, or a shark meshing uh, program as they're called in New South Wales. It's just a fancy word for a gill net as you would use when you're performing commercial fishing. So uh, we we expose what this program actually is, uh, and that includes drum lines as well, which are just a big industrial fishing hook that is baited uh, to attract sharks. Expose what the program actually is, uh, and then we start to go into legalities, which is something that has never really been looked into that I'm aware of as deeply as, as, as what this film has done. So there was a Senate inquiry at a federal level, Australian federal Senate inquiry in 2017, looking into this topic. Uh, there was a court case recently where Humane Society International uh, took Queensland Fisheries to court, specifically about uh, running the program in the Great Barrier Reef. We then go look into the Environmental Protection Act and how that applies here because the target list of this cull uh, includes protected species, so on and so forth. We, we really take quite a deep dive into the legalities of it and then we look into the facts about whether it actually keeps people safe. We look into the facts around bycatch, all the stuff they don't want to catch, but they catch more of it than, than what they're actually trying to catch, which is sharks. Uh, and then, yeah, basically, basically a call to action at the end. We, we draw it all together by saying, this is not right. Let's, uh, let's do something about this time. We do something about this. So therefore with that call to action and what you hope this film will instigate, like what does success look for, uh, look like for you in the future? I'm, I I always approach things with a pretty big goal, uh, to, to be honest, I'm always one of those, those people that, you know, aim for the stars. And if you fall short, you, you land on the moon kind of thing. So for me, I'll probably see it as failure if these programs aren't ended in their current form, in their lethal form. Uh, that's really what 
has to happen. It's the logical thing that needs to happen, both from a protecting humans point of view, both from an animal welfare point of view. Um, these programs need to end in their current form, period. Uh, there was global outrage about the WA cull. Um, and if anything, that was actually more humane than these, than these programs. These are, these are absurd. When you see the facts behind these and the devastation they cause, um, it's insane that they still happen uh, now. So, yeah, I, I want to see the programs end. And I, do, I don't think the government's ever going to rip, rip these kind of measures out and do nothing and just say, all right, you're all on your own now, uh, enter, the, enter the water at your own risk. Although that is how the rest of the world pretty much, other than South Africa and Reunion Island, that is how they treat the issue of sharks. Um, I don't think we're going to do that. It's too ingrained that the government has a role in protecting people. Um, which is why, again, one of the things I left out before of our narrative, actually, which is why we talk about solutions as well. And we do kind of hopscotch around the world and um, look at who's developing what and what ways there are to, A, actually protect people because I can't, I can't emphasize enough that these programs are not, despite, the, the, I guess, the rhetoric that the government like to trot out. Uh, and, B, don't go killing tens or hundreds of thousands of sharks to achieve it. Amazing. So big goals, love them. Uh, <laughs> safe to say others have tried and mm-hmm. I guess using the word failed is acceptable because, you know, people have had this vision before. What's going to make it different this time? <sighs> yeah, isn't, isn't that the million-dollar question? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like... It, what, what I look at WA as a good case study, right? And it's a slightly different scenario because it was a brand new program. They had a three-month trial. There was global outrage and it ended. They pulled the pin on it. So I step back and look at that and go, okay, it, th- there was a flashpoint because it was new. We don't have that flashpoint here because in New South Wales, the program's been running since 1937 and Queensland's been running t- since 1962. So what's the flashpoint going to be? There needs to be something that gets people overseas, people in Australia really, I mean, to be frank, like pissed off and go, this this isn't okay, uh, and use their voice to express that to, to the elected people that are running these programs and are sp- supposed to serve us. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I thought what can that flashpoint be? Feature-length film that gets picked up and gets a big over, overseas viewing. I figured that's a, that's our best shot. You know, short of this is this, someone else said this to the, to me the other day, and it's a, it's a little bit grim. Uh, but short of like Migaloo getting short caught in a shark net or something like a really iconic whale like that or something that people really care about. Short of that happening, I don't see what else can be the flashpoint. So um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people who've been working in the space a lot longer than me, probably a lot more competent than me, haven't achieved this. But, you know, this is just, this is just our, in my opinion, our best shot, use the power of film to, to uh, generate international and local outrage and get something done about it. Because clearly, you know, not Megaloo, but other whales getting, in, getting entangled in a shark net and drowning and dying doesn't do it. Baby dolphins getting a gut hook from a drum line uh, and having to be taken to SeaWorld and live out the rest of their life in captivity because shark control equipment made them unable to be released to the wild doesn't do it. Dolphins getting wrapped in shark nets and drowning doesn't do it. Like other than this, this for me is like a, I mean, 
There's so many things that should have done it before. A, a contractor getting caught finning, a contractor who's, who's employed by the government to run the Queensland Shark Control Program in one particular region, not the whole state, getting caught and prosecuted in 2018 for finning, like that doesn't do it. I don't know what will other than this, I guess, I don't know if it's the right term, but I guess this Hail Mary of let's make a feature length about this, expose this to the world, and uh, if that doesn't do it, I don't know what will. I think we're in that age now where the streaming service approach is, it's a bit of a game changer, right? Sure, it's been around for a few years now and there's a number of environmental documentaries that have radically increased the eyeballs on them as a result of these streaming services. But on that point, so that's available to you and it sounds like mm. you've used that as a premier strategy. Mm. What about the, the shock and awe, right? I've, I get the sense that you are really going to take people into quite despairing situations because that's what's needed. How are you balancing and what sort of intel and advice are you getting on how to massage the shock and the despair with the critical importance of showing what you want to show? Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it was one of the real challenges in this in striking that balance. Like, the, the, you don't want to sanitise it completely and not show it. You cannot get the message across of how horrific these programs are without showing the, the really, really, really ugly truth. You can't do it. Nor do people want to sit and watch and be just emotionally broken for 90 minutes either so for us it was a bit of a balance i feel like we've we've struck that balance pretty well now where we we expose some pretty horrific stuff in short sections of the film uh but we don't sit there and just absolutely rip your heart out and stomp on it for, for the entire length of the film either because we go look at solutions because we go look at uh the legalities of it you know in in those contexts we're, we're telling the narrative in, in a very different way uh but yeah we we do we do have in particular two sections of the film that just show the program for just just exactly what it is you know we're, we're not we're not um we don't need to, I guess, ham it up or, or, or uh, you know, do what do what Hollywood do in terms of um, uh, making it, you know, more over the top than what it actually is. We just lay it out, use real clips, real audio, a little bit of music behind it and just let the program speak for itself. We really don't even need to say anything. And, uh, yeah, the balance is hard because, because you need to see it, but... Uh, you can't you can't watch it for ninety minutes or two hours straight either. Mm. I wanted to sort of reflect back on that success of I guess the WA example and mm. what you've seen I suppose in recent years that gives you the confidence that attitudes have pivoted enough that this film and the resulting call to action and the impact campaign around it is going to lead to the success of it. Like, what are you? picking up in community attitudes in Australia and around the world that is going to be that defining difference? Community attitudes on this, specifically in Queensland and New South Wales where these, where these programs are run, are already in our favour. So any poll that's taken over the last few years sits around the 70 to 80% mark of people against these programs. Uh, so we already have community support. What has become clear, though, is that you don't just need 
a majority or you don't just need, um, I, I guess, that level of community support to end a program like this, which can be a politically risky move to end it, um, to end a program like this, you need an overwhelming majority. Like we clearly need like numbers of 90, 95, 98% of people against this locally. And then, and then international outrage as well. Like we clearly need just, it needs to be so overwhelming to end this. Um, and, and again, I, that, that brings me back to the reason behind doing this project is that I think this, this was the only way I could think of to achieve that. Like this stuff's been out there on social media for, for a while and that's obviously contributed to those numbers getting to where they are today, which is 70, 80% of people, 70, 80% of the community being against this. But governments still aren't budging. There's still zero, I guess, movement in ending the, the, the culling practices in these programs. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 think, I think exposing it for what it is can help us get to that critical mass where governments are going to have to listen. What that number is, I don't know. I would have thought 70% of your constituents telling you to get this rubbish out of the water would have been enough, but it's not, clearly. So, I don't know, is it 80, is it 90, is it 95, is it, is it international outrage, is it people saying they're not going to come visit us uh, until you sort this out, is it overseas celebrity speaking out against it, which we obviously saw in WA with Richard Branson and Ricky Gervais. I don't know what the answer is because I thought we'd passed that point a long time ago uh, where where these things should come out of the water. So, yeah. Can I throw in media perhaps? What do you yeah. want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, media's, media, media perceptions up to this are changing too, I feel. Like uh, some extremely right-wing publications maybe not but a lot of other media a lot of the media coverage we've gotten since we launched our trailer and and i guess started making noise about this doco has actually been quite balanced uh and, and they've given us more than a fair, fair fair run and they've actually taken the government to task on it a little bit whereas i feel maybe five years ago that that wouldn't have been the case i think maybe we would have been attacked for making this film for being you know greenies or hippies or whatever and putting sharks before people uh, like all that all that all that rubbish that's just simply not true um i think the media is going away from that the, the government still do that we've been called a so-called documentary and and um <laughs> we've we've been accused of putting sharks before people when that's not the case we, we these programs don't work we actually want technologies that will actually protect people um, with, with, with the benefit of, of not killing sharks either. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the government, I think, are the last to come along. I think the community got there first. The media's following, um, again, with the exclusion of maybe some, some publications. But uh, the vast majority, I think they, they, they approach this very balanced. Um, now we just need the people making the decisions to, to catch up to the rest of us. Sorry to interrupt your beautiful podcast experience, but I just wanted to jump in and remind you that in order to help us grow the crowd of ocean impact supporters out there, we really do need to see this podcast reach more ear canals. So would you kindly consider subscribing? Would you kindly consider writing a review? And if you love an episode, please share it around. We're blown away by the support. But with more listeners, we can make an even greater impact. Well, if that's true, I, I must admit that's a, that's a really big, you know, plus in your corner, right? Because I think that 
traditionally, and you referenced five years ago, you know, the fear of, of the media potentially changing tack and, and pursuing a, a narrative and a rhetoric that was going to be political suicide was, uh, was probably a huge reason, right? So if we can sort of have some surety that the media rhetoric is going to be on your side, then I think that the political barriers are going to start maybe coming down. I think it's already balanced leaning towards being on our side. And, and our, our PR strategy around this has been do, do, not, do not buy into the, the, the nonsense government rhetoric, which is there's only been one fatality at a protected beach. They've only got two moves. There's only been one fatality at a protected beach and we've got to put people before sharks. And our strategy has been never, ever, ever to buy into that. Um, and always correct the record on both of those. And I, media are starting to catch on to that. And, and, and they're starting to realise that, that, you know, what Minister Ferner says or, or, or um, Anastasia Palaget, when, that, when they throw out those two very predictable lines, they're starting to realise that they're, they're BS. It's not a decision between sharks and people. Um, you can have both. And if you use 2020 technology instead of 1930s technology, you would have both. Uh, and the one fatality at a protected beach is also hugely misleading um, and also a bit of an attention grab for their programs when it's not actually down to their programs. So um, there's been a lot of bites at protected beaches, a lot. They do These, these devices, shark nets, drum lines, do not keep sharks away from people. People get bitten at meshed beaches, at shark netted beaches and at drumline beaches. It happens a lot. The reason they don't die is quick medical intervention. So to claim there's only been one fatality at a protected beach because of your programs, A, discounts the 50-something bites there have been, which I feel is misleading, and B, it kind of steals credit from surf lifesavers and and emergency services and first responders because that's who's actually saving lives. These bites are happening at these beaches where you run your silly program that doesn't work. What's stopping it is applying a tourniquet quickly, attending to the victim quickly, getting someone there with blood, be it in a chopper or, or in an ambulance quickly. That's what's actually saving lives. So for government to claim credit for that, um, I guess, as a way of justifying their program, um, yeah, I, I, that, that one really grinds my gears because it's both deceptive and just a bit pathetic really to be claiming credit for something that's not actually you at all. Love it. So we're telling the story. We want to get the control measures out or we want to at least evolve them. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about solutions and innovations, like what's happening around the world. What are you advocating as a proactive measure to meet the government somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of barrier solutions that are really, really good. Um, by, by barrier, I mean sharks can't actually swim through it. That they cannot get into an enclosed area that is there for for swimmers or surfers. Again, just reiterating, that's not what shark nets are. Shark nets they can swim around around them, under them, in New South Wales, over them. It's not what shark nets are. But there are actual barrier solutions that that do work, and you can create an enclosure that. 
is the best way to ensure no shark bites and therefore no shark bite fatalities. A shark can't bite you if it's not near you. So um, those barrier solutions are really encouraging. They do have more of an upfront cost than these nets, which are a disposable item, but lifetime cost, they're the cheaper option. They're absolutely the cheaper option. Um, there's one that is suitable for surf breaks uh, that, that can move with the swell more. It kind of mimics kelp. Uh, in terms of the way it's constructed. Uh, and then there's one for more calm beaches, which is which is more of a grid, I guess, a, a grid kind of fence pattern. Looks what like what people think a shark net would look like and kind of acts like what people think a shark net is. Um, so barrier solutions are really encouraging. Drone surveillance is a complete game changer. Like the, so effective, so effective in that top down, you can, you can see a shark, if you're trained properly, you can tell the species and you can go, it's a grey nurse, don't worry about it. Or you can go, it's a great white, let's let's ring the bell or, or, or sound the siren and get people out of the water. That technology is going to evolve too. Uh, you know, it can be used and should be used and is being used in certain places right now. There's no reason for every patrol beach not to have a drone right now. But that will evolve. They'll evolve greater ranges. They'll have, you know, I guess ways of running autonomously. AI in them that can spot the species of shark and, and make its own decisions rather than a human having to do it. So that's really exciting. But I, I kind of don't like talking about where it can go in the future uh, because it makes it sound like we shouldn't be using it now. But that's not the case. It is highly effective and far more effective than nets and drum lines right now. But where it's going, going in the, like the next five to ten years is even better. Personal deterrents are good. We talked to uh, we talked to Lindsay from Ocean Guardian about their shark shield technology in in, in the film. You know that that's that's been really well tested. When when no other method can protect you, if you're surfing at a remote break or um, diving and you're concerned about sharks, personal electrical deterrents are, are, are really good. You know we touch on smart drum lines as well. Um, they're not our favourite solution because. While they're not lethal to sharks, which is a plus, they don't keep sharks away from people either. Um, so at the end of the day, a smart drumline is still a piece of bait in the water on a hook near near humans, near a swimming beach, which is not the best idea. And we've got we've got science and and data to back that. So um, smart drumlines, I think, are a step step in the right direction, but then they're, they're not the real solution here. Keeping sharks away from people or monitoring for sharks and being able to clear people. It's really the way to go. Are they all your favourite or do you have a tendency to be embracing of one particular technology or solution? The answer is tricky. I think once you say you, you have one favourite, it, it, it can kind of open you up to criticism, I feel, mm. because not, no one of them works in every scenario. So if you've got horrendous um, water quality, maybe drones won't work. So to say, to, generally I'll lean towards drones, but not everywhere because um, drones won't work everywhere. Barriers won't work everywhere. It, but some, the, the key though is something works anywhere. Any location you pick and point to on a map, something will work. Mm. Yeah, I'm the same. I guess I was leaning you towards sort of drones just because I think there's something beautiful happening around drones in terms of increasing ocean literacy and ocean understanding as well, which I think, you know, one of our key pillars with Ocean Impact Organisation is inspiration. Like if we can get people far more familiar with the ocean, then it's going to change attitudes and behaviour. 
Yeah, exactly. It, it's like my, my example at the start that, that for me, the game changer was, was getting under the surface and, and scuba diving. Like that, that, all that is, in essence, is more familiarity. It's so important. And, you know, the power of imagery, the power of film, the power of actually getting out there, encouraging people to go diving themselves, introducing to sharks with, you know, ecotourism and shark experiences, all of that builds that familiarity and, and makes people care, I think. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge part in engaging people. So I've had some experience with um, with environmental media projects, documentaries like Blue the Film and uh, docos like uh, the War on Waste series and the big buzz terminology in, in doco land now is all about, you know, impact docos and what's your impact campaign. Of course, you need as many people as possible to see the film and that will fill those people with a, hopefully the inspiration to want to do something about it. But then it's about what is the impact campaign? You mentioned your PR strategy before. What is uh, your impact campaign? Is it still got a little bit of work to go? Who are you collaborating with? Yeah, we're going to have uh, we're going to have actions resulting at the end of this film to send that message we want to send even clearer. So um, again, using in a lot of ways, we've used the WA success as our template. So people on the beach being vocal about their outrage, people on surfboards having a paddle out and sending their message. I think that's two huge things that, that um, got the message across in that scenario and we're going to be doing exactly the same thing. So we'll be facilitating those uh, and we'll be working with all the organisations that, that feature in the film. So I mentioned before, <clears throat> Jono, from, Jono from Sea Shepherd, Leo from AMCS, uh, Lawrence from HSI, uh, all those organisations, we're all going to pull together and and I guess in the same direction for those actions at the end of the film you're exactly right the impact is the key like to me making it making a nice film that was interesting and got views and achieving nothing is a resounding failure like cannot even put into words how, how disappointed with that i would be it, it is about impact uh, like i generally don't like buzzwords and and that's not that's not the, tech, the the terminology we've been using internally but yeah we want to make change absolutely that's all that matters at the end of this and um for me, I guess the way I came to that realization, and I won't name names on this, but I, w I watched I watched a really beautiful film about um, it was an environmental, I guess, impact doco, and at the end, it was really unclear what to do. Like it highlighted some issues, it highlighted where you know um, what not what we need to do, but where we need to improve and how we could fix this issue. But at the end, it just kind of roll credits and and nothing and it was a beautiful film and i kind of that was the point to me this is a couple of years ago now uh, i think just around when we were when we were coming up with the concept for this film and that for me was like the we're gonna do be the opposite of that we're gonna have such a crystal clear call to action at the end uh and we and our job's not done at the end of the editing studio and you hand it over to to whoever's going to be screening this thing that's not where our job ends if anything, that's where our real job starts. Uh, so, so A, clear call to action at the end of the film, very clear. And then B, we don't let the foot off the gas. If anything, we press it down harder and make sure those actions happen and facilitate them, facilitate them ourselves if we have to and, and really keep playing a really active role in this, in this topic after the film's out. And that, I think that's a little bit unusual because, you know, usually either you're... You, you, trying to create actions uh, through activism or conservation or you're a filmmaker and 
I think blurring the two is is not common, um, and it's just a, I guess a little bit of I don't know, ignorance is bliss maybe that that we didn't know we're we're not really supposed to do that, <laughs> or a bit of a naivety maybe. But um, to us from day one, it was it was the it was the obvious way to go about this, uh, and that is what we'll be doing. Yeah, awesome. And you obviously mentioned some really impressive environmental organisations, but I'd imagine that there's there's many others out there that will uh, join in once the momentum is building around this. Um, and it's my hope that they join in troves. Um, so, I mean, I think we've had a really great conversation. I'm looking through my notes here. Um, what about sort of, I guess, political persuasions? I mean, is it is it clear that one side of politics just won't stick their neck out and be a leader on this and one side might? Or... Is it just a matter of having to take it to, to both of them and, and sort of try and find some sort of commonality? Like what is the expectation here on the, on the political front? Uh, yeah, look, both, both, to be honest, both sides don't really want to budge on this uh, and that's really disappointing. And the reason I think it is is just the fear that if they make the call that clearly needs to be made, like science says it, community says it, everyone says Let's move these programs in in a in a better non-lethal direction. You make that call, and then something happens a week later, a month later, a year later. That's what the politicians are scared of. That that really is what what they're terrified of, because then they'll be crucified by the media. They'll be crucified by their political opposition, and it really doesn't make sense to me. Because, like I say, there's there's people getting bitten protected so-called protected beaches now like they're not effective now what they're scared of already happens now so uh, yeah i i think i think it's i don't believe there's people in politics that actually believe this programs work and i don't believe there's people in in politics that that don't realize that that this is the wrong way to be going about it like they're not they're not stupid people they know exactly what's going on it's just too risky to make the change and how do you so i guess the, the you know the million dollar question is is how do you overcome that and to me it's make make not changing scarier than changing so there is that fear that if we change the programs and something happens we'll look bad right okay how about if we make you look really really bad on a global scale for not changing that really is is what we need to achieve and and we can't do it on 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 our own obviously we're trying to be the catalyst for that but people speaking up and being outraged is what's going to do it because once they realize that hey there's actually political suicide not to move this in the right direction um that'll be it's it's i guess you know a set of scales and at the moment it's it's scary to make a change than it is not to make a change we need that much outrage and that much anger at them and that much pressure on them that um it's scarier not to sounds to me like that 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 could have been a conversation you might have been having with a commercial client looking at a competitor in a marketing context and competitive advantage right so would you say that your skill set in being a creative and working in marketing advertising has really set you up to be a fresh perspective on how to tackle an issue, an issue like this. I I wasn't cognizant of that 
uh, until people started making comments like that one. Uh, Maddie, who you had on again recently, said the same thing. She said it, it like a fresh set of eyes and a fresh approach to this topic has been really reinvigorating for it. So I guess so. Like I, it certainly wasn't conscious. Like I didn't sit there and go, right, I'm going to come in on this topic. I'm going to bring all these new ideas. And, and like it wasn't a conscious decision. I just looked at the issue uh which to me is an ineffective program that causes immense environmental damage. Uh, and, you know, it, by ineffective, I say it doesn't work. And how would I go about fixing it? And I guess, I don't know, I just, I just applied a strategic brain, a business brain to it. I'm really not sure because, like I say, it wasn't a conscious, a conscious thought to, to do things differently. But, yeah, I just looked at the issue and went, how do I think, uh, how do I think would be the most effective way to change this? And exposing it. Um, building public pressure against it, you know, like I just touched on, making it scarier to 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 not to not change it, um, scarier than it is to 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 change it. All these things, I guess they just, yeah. I'd love to say I sat in a room and hatched this master plan for for a, a day or a week or a month, but but I didn't. I just I just looked at the issue and and went with my gut and what I felt was right and and, and assessed the lay of the land and. Yeah, I guess when you say it out loud, it kind of does. It, it kind of does sound like strategic analysis or something in a business situation, and how, how you should how you should go after a a project or something like that. But uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, it, it, until now or until a, a few other a few other contexts in which this has been brought up in. I really hadn't thought about it too much. I just I just did what I thought was right and what I thought would be effective. Yeah, no, I think I'll I'll echo Maddie's sentiments there. I think that's what is a defining difference here, which which gets me excited, and I think it will get the listeners to this podcast excited. Um, a fresh perspective on a problem that's been seemingly insurmountable for quite some time is just what we needed, and let's um, you know we wish you the absolute best. So we might start to wrap things up, Andre. So. Obviously, there's a bit of time left um, making sure it is the right time to release the film in this crazy, wacky old 2020 that we find ourselves in. But mm. give us a bit of a picture of what's next, um, not just what's next for the film, but what's next for you. You, you are, Whether you like it or not, going to make a significant mark as an impact filmmaker now. So is there other issues that you might find yourself in the next few years um, touching on as well? Yeah, look, so to, to, to answer the first one, I guess there's, there's no clear answer on, on um, where it'll end up and when just yet. Uh, you know, these crazy times we live in is making stuff move a bit slower than, than we anticipated, um, more challenging. Uh, but I am confident, regardless of that, I'm confident it's going to end up on a very, very big platform uh, in front of a very big audience, and that's the main thing. Uh, so where exactly and when exactly is, yeah, it's, it's very, very hard to answer, but I'm super confident that it will. Uh, and it's just a matter of, I guess, we're working really hard in the background to, to, to make that happen, um, get the best outcome and, and get some clarity around that for our audience, our, our loyal supporters who have been uh, dying to see this. So we are working on it. Uh, it will be coming. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of... of where and when, not whether this thing's going to get picked up. That, that's for sure. So um, I guess on the, on the second topic, definitely I, I want to go and do more stuff. I really don't see myself doing 
anything but this for the foreseeable future. Uh, so like I say, I'm a, uh, up until now, I guess I've, I've been a business guy and I've always tried to make positive change in an industry, but it's through what now seem mundane and boring things like offering a better service than a competitor or offering a better product than, than a competitor. Um, and that, <clears throat> that I think now feels like a very, I don't know, hollow and in, in, insignificant uh, use of use of time and skills. Uh, so I guess looping right back to, to, to the start of the podcast where I said I've been applying that same logic that I would in business of seeing a problem and how would I go about fixing it. Applying it to this, applying it to, to environmental issues and ocean-related issues to me, um, uh, yeah, I, to me seems a far, far better I guess better use of my skill set, more fulfilling personally use of my skill set. So um, I personally can't picture myself doing 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 anything else moving forward. So there's there's other issues I've got my eye on uh, that I feel I feel either need to be um, have a fresh take on them or uh, haven't been exposed at all. So yeah, I guess stay tuned. I think I think the envoy the envoy brand won't finish with this um, with this documentary. So envoy is is um, you know I guess a, a diplomatic representative is the de- definition of, of the word. It's a diplomat diplomatic messenger, um, and that's what our cast of the film are. That they are they are bringing this message for sharks who can't speak for themselves and um, showing it to the world. And there's there's other people working on other things that I guess are envoys for that topic as well. And uh, I really, really want to go and keep doing what I'm doing because uh, it's been a long time since I've been this, uh, I guess, engaged by something, excited by something and motivated by something because um, when you see what's going on in the world and you can, I personally, uh, so, some people can, some people can't, but I personally can't just sit back and accept it. Um, so, yeah, I can't see myself doing anything else. I guess stay tuned, uh, A, first of all, for this film, but then uh, there certainly will be more coming. I And we are very appreciative that you've taken this little uh, fork in the road and there's no going back at this stage. So... I'll leave it to you, mate, for any final words and particularly maybe sending people to your social channels and where they can sign up for email updates because I know a lot of people are going to want to see this film and, and learn about its progress as it unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. So um, envoyfilm.com.au is the website. Uh, on most socials, if you search for Envoy Film, you'll find us as well. Uh, the handles are slightly different on, on different platforms, but if you search for Envoy Film or Envoy Shark Cull, uh, you will find us. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok, even for some for the younger audience for some fun fun uh, fun content, which is hard to do with this rather grim topic. So uh, yeah, find us uh, find us there, and um, yeah, uh, I mean just just going back to your la- last comment, I feel a little bit silly finding finding this passion so late in life when you compare it to some of the other people that are in this film that have been doing it, like Maddie as again as an example, since she's whatever four, fourteen years old or whatever it was. Um, you, you, you feel, uh, I guess, a little bit inadequate for, for stumbling across it later in life. I'm 33 now. Um, so yeah, I know still young, but certainly not, certainly not dedicating your life to a cause since the age of 14. So, um, I'm excited, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I, I wish I'd stumbled across sooner. I think I'd, um, 
uh, I think I could have applied my skill set better. But here we are, better late than never, and uh, I'll keep trying my best. Mate, everything happens for a reason. I'm sure your previous successes and experiences have uh, brought you to this point where you can exert your greatest influence. So I thank you on behalf of all the sharks and all the other innocent creatures who unfortunately have uh, have suffered as a result of these programs and I just wish you the greatest success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. She's raising blue.